if we haven't met, my name is Adam, and it's good to be with you in the presence of God today. Uh, we're starting a new sermon series, and I'm excited for uh, the next few weeks. I do wonder if you've had an experience like I have. Have you ever noticed that news stories, news channels, just, just run a lot of pretty rough stories? Uh, there's plenty of horrible things to report on in the world. Uh, but sometimes I'm like, man, I don't, I don't need to know about every terrible thing that happens on every, every continent. You know, I found a couple samples this week. There was a shark attack uh, in the Bahamas, and an organ woman was attacked by a bear. I just, I can't, I, I don't have the capacity to, to, to be aware of every terrible thing that happens in the world. And I don't want to minimize tragedy. Uh, I am suggesting uh, that maybe these stories are examples of the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. You ever heard that? We are drawn uh, to these types of, of, of shocking stories. And a lot of times in the news and in social media, oh, man, I sound like uh, I'm, I'm just really getting soft on a negative kick here. But too often, news sites and social media, they're not in the information business. They're in the attention business. Uh, and there's a difference. Research shows that this feeds an instinct of ours that stories that have a negative connotation or that produce outrage spread at a higher rate than those with a neutral or positive slant. Uh, how about this? Can anybody name the last time you saw a political advertisement that was positive? Okay. Right? Most of the time when we see political ads, it's about how bad this other person is, not what I plan to do in the positive sense. Again, there's a difference. So often, it's not about uh, what the candidate is for, it's about what they're against. And one of my fears is that the church has a similar reputation, that we're known more by what we're against than what we're for. I've told you this before, some, I'm very proud to be a pastor at our church, but sometimes when I meet like normal people out in the world, it's just awkward, because when they find out I'm a pastor, one of two things happens. They apologize for cussing earlier, or they tell me how long it's been since they've been to church and why, as if I have my pocket book of life on me and am notating this. Uh, you know, my friend Kaylee, uh, she's on staff here at church. Some of y'all may know her. Uh, Kaylee, amazing Kaylee, got her nose pierced, and this is what her friends asked her. What's your church going to think? Can you still work there? I mean, that's where we're at. That if you put a very nice studded diamond in your nose or something, the church will kick you out. Her friends honestly asked her that. So this is our reputation. The church is where fun goes to die. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> in this series called Know What You're For, we want to go against the current uh, stream of negativity that we find ourselves swimming in in our culture. If we're going to have any type of credible witness about what Jesus has done in our lives and what the church is for, then we need to stop defining ourselves only by what we're against and start becoming known by what we're for. God is for us. That's the message today. That's what it's about, that God is for you. And God ultimately calls us to be for one another and for the world. To be for someone means to have their best interests at heart. That's what it means to be for somebody. You have their best interests at heart. And if you're interested in diving more into this, I'd recommend the book, Know What You're For. 
This is a book by Jeff Henderson. And especially the next few weeks, some of the concepts we'll be covering covering, were inspired by this great book. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It has eternal significance. So, when you conceive of God, what do you think of? What kind of God do you imagine? Is it like a a principle waiting to grade you and send you to eternal detention? Or maybe it's like God is like your grandma where there's no rules. Grandma just wants to spoil you. Those are two extremes, aren't they? We may have been raised with different understandings or maybe we're coming to our own understanding of faith for the first time. How could our lives change if we knew, if we really knew that God is for us? In our scripture today, we'll see a great example of God being described as a loving parent who has their child's best interests at heart. What I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word today is that God's gift to you is grace. God's gift to you is grace. Our scripture comes from the book of Matthew, and it's one of the four gospels that are these biographies of Jesus. And the word gospel means good news. So these these books are about the life and death and teachings of Jesus, who lived briefly, died violently, and rose unexpectedly. So this portion of what we're going to read comes from the most famous sermon ever, It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus would would have to go to these massive, well, in in Palestine, in in the first century, like Mount is is subjective, right? It's relative. So similar to Missouri, we don't have a bunch of big mountains like in Colorado. But Jesus would go to these rocky hilltops because all these people were assembled beneath him. And he had so many people wanting to hear him, he had to get to like this natural amphitheater in order to preach and have everyone who wanted to sin under his teaching. So our scripture today comes from the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has been preaching both before and after this on prayer. This is what he said in chapter 7. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus is revealing the character of God through this illustration of a parent giving gifts to a child. This is a technique a lot of rabbis use. They would move from the lesser to the greater. If the lesser is true, how much more the greater? Which of you, Jesus said, if your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if we ask for fish, we'll give him a snake. The items Jesus chose are comparable in size and appearance. Uh, First century bread, uh, it it was a long way from Asiago, Focaccia, and Panera. I think we got a picture of that for you. Here we go. I mean, it looks kind of like a pile of rocks, right? They were about the size of stones and had similar shapes. And when Jesus says, who would give their kid a snake if they ask for a fish? Uh, one of my favorite biblical scholars, his name's William Barclay. And he thinks the snake is an eel. He thinks it's an eel. I think we got a photo of that too. Ooh, let's not leave that up real long. And, and I think this is an interesting kind of intersection because we might think, anybody who's taken biology, well, eels are not reptiles, snakes are reptiles. Like, that's modern taxonomy. That came along a long, long time later. 
than when Jesus was speaking. What Barclay says, I, found, I did like a 30-minute deep dive on eels. So there are eels that are native to the Red Sea, uh, where Jesus would have been uh, near. And in Jewish law, uh, you could eat fish as long as they had scales. Eels don't have scales. And so the illustration really is cruel. Oh, you want a fish, huh? Here's your fish, and it's a fish the kid wouldn't have been able to eat. Little eel knowledge for you. That would have been a very cruel thing, a cruel thing to give a child something similar in size and nature to what they asked for, but it was far from helpful. Jesus says, so if you then, no one would do that to their kids. So if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So Jesus is working from imagery that assumes parental generosity. And, and this is right and proper. But I just want to acknowledge that all of us might not have experienced this. You know, sometimes a bad example that we've inherited is still a good example of what not to do. Uh, so we may not have all experienced this type of relationship that Jesus is operating under. Uh, that's why it's good news that we have a heavenly father who is for us and has our best desires at heart. So however our parents may have tried and failed us, or those of us with children have tried and failed with our own kids, I hope we can still find comfort in this image that Jesus gives us. In speaking on prayer, Jesus is arguing that we as imperfect humans still know how to give good gifts to our children, and that pales in comparison to what God wants to provide. So then to me, the operative question is, well then, what kind of gifts does God give? What kind of gifts does God give? There's a stream of Christianity, and, and I, I'm being generous here. There's a stream of Christianity that really focuses on this and uses verses like we've read today to proclaim health and wealth to the faithful who pray the right way and get good gifts from God. But when we consider the analogy that Jesus used, fish and bread, these were basic dietary staples in the first century. So I don't think Jesus is, is suggesting that if we pray the right way, that, that we'll get extravagant wealth. I don't think that's the kind of gifts we're talking about. Because the examples Jesus used, they weren't extravagant. Jesus did not say, who, if your child asked for a Benz, would give them a Mazda? That's the, Mazdas are very nice cars. If you drove one in here today, it's great. It's, that's not a problem. When we consider that Jesus was himself poor and warned about the dangers of accumulating wealth, I don't think that, that we should conclude that Jesus is saying God wants to give you gifts to make you wealthy. No, the gifts being described here are not material, they're eternal. God's gift to you is grace. God is both merciful and gracious, but grace is greater than mercy. This is what I mean. Earlier this summer, uh, my family bought a car from Pettijohn Auto in Bethany, Missouri. Our neighbors are Tommy and Carolyn, part of the Pettijohn Auto family now. I told them, uh, what time can I expect to be over on Christmas morning? Uh, so a few days went by, and I just hadn't gone to the DMV to get my plates yet. And a very observant officer here in Kearney uh, noticed this and pulled me over. And I really, you know, I explained my plight, but really I had no excuse other than 
I just didn't want to go to the DMV. Uh, he let me off. See, that was mercy. I should have been punished with a ticket, but I didn't get what I deserved. That's mercy, not getting what you deserved. If Tommy would have given me the Ford Explorer, that would have been grace. Right? That I would have got something that I didn't earn. Do you see the difference? Now, I just got done telling you, you don't need to pray to God for a free car. So just work with me on the analogy here. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. I should have got a ticket, but I didn't. Grace is getting what you have not earned. That's something much different. See, God doesn't stop at only providing mercy, withholding punishment we deserve. God also gives grace starting before we're even aware of it. And what we're going to get into now is really at the core of what I love most about Methodist theology. If you've used that phrase this week, if you can work in Methodist theology into a sentence, please text me and I will give you $10. Okay? But this is what I love most about, about what we do. We believe in Methodism, this is one of our key verses, that we love because God first loved us. That's 1 John 4.19. And we call this prevenient grace. I'm going to hit you with another one of my classic killer graphics here. See, I want, I, I've, I've gone through this before, and I hope it starts to become familiar. I love, like, sketching this out for somebody on a napkin or on a scratch piece of paper. Prevenient grace. Now, that's a word we don't use often, but you know what it means. The movie preview comes before the movie. So God is at work in our lives before even, we're even aware of it. That's prevenient grace, a grace that comes before, that we are known and loved by God before we even know it. Then we have justifying grace. Romans 3.24 says that all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So to be justified means not to be blamed. Right? If someone had some type of emergency happen and they ran out of the room right now, we would, none of us would blame them for that. Right? Their behavior was justified. So if someone's justified in their actions... We don't blame them for what they did. This is one of the key concepts of the Christian faith. That a person, Romans 3.28 said, a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This means that we are accepted by God, not based on what we have done for God, not based on following all the rules, but by what God has done for us in the birth and life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That we are justified through our faith. For it is by grace you have been saved, Ephesians 2 tells us. I I hope somebody's, these are some key verses. I felt like preaching today, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. What kind of gifts does God give? Here's one. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Jesus said, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God's gift to you is grace. And the gift of justifying grace, this is the the second kind of step in the threefold picture of grace. That's when we place our faith in Christ. It's as if we've crossed a line. That's that, that, that moment some folks may describe where they have been saved. That's when we accept God's justifying grace. It's as if we've crossed a line of faith. And as my dad used to say, a lot of us spend the rest of our lives hugging that line as close as we can without going back over. That's that little arrow 
in the middle. We don't want to do that. But friends, that's not where the journey of faith ends. God still has more gifts for us. There's still more grace yet to come. And so we move, once we've crossed that line of faith, once we've been justified, once we've been held blameless in God's sight, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done, we move from being self-centered to Christ-centered. John 3.30 says, he must increase, I must decrease. And this is a journey that isn't always a straight one. We can take one step forward and four steps back or, or the opposite. The book of Luke records a very similar teaching of Jesus that we read today in Matthew. But it ends differently. Luke eleven twelve says, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God's Spirit working in us is sanctifying grace. Yep, let's go ahead and show them. That's not an eel, that's a trail. God gives us the capacity to grow more and more into the image of Christ, to be more and more like Jesus. And it's not just on, based on our effort alone, but on the wisdom and the strength that God provides. And that's a journey that goes all up and down and backwards and forwards, as any committed Christian could tell you. That's a picture of the grace God gives us. Prevenient. God is working in our lives before we're aware of it. Justifying that we are seen as blameless by God, not based on our efforts, but based on the work of Christ on the cross. But that's not the finish line, friends. That's the starting line. And we have sanctifying grace to grow more and more into being like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. What comes to mind when you think about God? Are you hoping only to avoid punishment? If so, then you're hoping for the mercy that God provides, but you haven't yet grasped God's grace. God isn't trying to trick you by offering you a stone when you need bread. That's Loki. Little Marvel reference there. Somebody got it. God isn't trying to prank you and be cruel to you. That's not the God we come in here to worship. God's gift to you is grace. So how do you approach God? I hope you can conceive of approaching God like a child approaching a loving parent who only has their best at heart. Hebrews 4.16 said this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So good. God gives us mercy when we stray from God's best desires for us. God also provides us with grace for the journey. Gifts that we don't have to do anything to earn, only receive. And in a world filled with conditions and disappointments, in a world full of bad news, the good news is we can live daily with the confidence that God's gift to us is grace. Friends, God is for you. And if our God is for us, who could be against us? And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, for the chance to be together in your presence. God, this is our appointment with you. And whether we're here in the room or online, we have set this time aside that we might experience your power and presence in our lives. 
God, help this good news not to just kind of be the same thing we may have heard a million times. But for us to, to open our minds up to a love that is beyond description, that as much as the most perfect parent might love their child and want to give them good gifts, that pales in comparison to how you feel about each and every one of your children. God, when the world seems to be against us, help us remember that you are for us. That we're not the only ones trying to walk with you. Trying to live a life of faith in a cruel world. God, in this moment, we lay down all the things we carried in with us. And ask that you would provide in this space whatever it was we came in needing. And that might not end up looking like what we would prefer, but God, we're trusting in your provision this morning. That you would never give us a snake or an eel when what we really need is a fish. And that you wouldn't weigh us down with stones when what we need is the bread of life. God, help us to go to sleep every night and rise every morning with the confidence that we are your children, that you give us good gifts, and that you are for us. Amen.